Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Robbie Clark. Robbie is a Sydney-based functional dietitian and sports nutritionist and also the co-founder of Health Bank. Robbie has extensive experience across a variety of clinical, corporate and community health. He is particularly passionate about men's health and sports nutrition, but also has a keen interest in diabetes, weight management, cardiovascular disease and gut health. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the area Robbie tends to specialise in, which is men's health. Thanks for coming today, Robbie, to talk to us about all things men's health. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's been a pleasure to be here. So really, um, I guess my first question, apart from the obvious you being a man, <laughs> um, why are you so interested? What, why are you so passionate about men's health? I think because I see that there is so much potential there. Um, we are, after all, 50% of the population, so it's important that we, someone has to look after that target group. And what I find in my practice is that men are so reluctant mm. to um, see a doctor or a health professional until it gets to crisis mode. Yes. And being in the industry of preventative health, I'm trying to be an advocate and a driver for saying, well, if we just really optimize your health now, then later in life, you're going to lead a much higher quality of life. And I, I think just trying to get the message out there yeah. to begin with is just an important one and, and making men more proactive yeah. than reactive. I think that's such a good point. I know myself, very few male clients actually, um, and it's not an area I specialize in, but, but sometimes they may come for, for weight loss or something. Mm. Um, and my husband being a prime example, he's actually got white coat syndrome. So yeah. if he sees a doctor, even if it's in a social setting, we'll go running a mile. Yes. Um, and just absolutely paranoid about, about anything to do with health um, or being checked out. So I, I do think what you're doing is amazing because we do need to take away, I guess, that, that fear. I, I don't know what it is actually, why men don't really go until it's yeah. um, you know a, a medical crisis. It's about getting those health checks and not leaving it so I long? I think so. And it's definitely generational as well. Yeah. I mean, we all say at this age is that our fathers might be those stubborn, yes. really, you know, stick your feet in the ground type of bloke. Um, Nothing wrong with me. Exactly. Mm. Um, whereas now I'm finding a lot of younger males who are coming through my door, they are a little bit more proactive and really wanting to reach the pinnacle of their health. So, but still, they're if I give them tests to do, there might be some who go, oh, I haven't done that yet. So they delay. Yeah. And that's the problem is just that element of delay that really needs to be cut. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think just getting those regular checks just as a yep. preventative yep. Um, is so crucial for, for everyone, male and, and female. Mm. So look, you're a dietitian or a functional dietitian, yeah. um, also sports nutritionist. When would you find that men do actually come to see you? Is it more that, that crisis management? When would they actually come? Or is it more about they're concerned about what they look like? Well, it, it, it definitely um, depends on the age bracket. What I find um, in terms of my clients who come through my door, the younger ones who believe that they don't have any health issues mm. and just primarily want to focus on their aesthetics mm. or just doing really well in the gym, building lean muscle, mm. stripping body fat, that tends to be the stereotype or the generalization of um, male clients that I see from the age 18 to maybe 30. Yeah. And then it's not until they get a bit older that there are other factors that are happening outside of that, such as their family, such as starting a family yes. or- Or being there, being healthy for their it, family. Exactly yep. right. So that's when it then tips over to more general health and well-being, and trying to put in place 
things now that they can then carry through to when they get older and that they can just really manage their health in a better way. Mm. So yeah, the younger ones are really focused more on that building lean muscle, fat loss. And, and that's um, a huge area too, isn't it? And we'll talk about it. that a little bit a little bit later. Yeah. yeah, but what's interesting is that with this population group, I will bring to their attention that um, maybe there are underlying factors that should be considered as well. And it's not until they hear me talk about it that they're open to suggestion. And then that can open a whole new world yeah. of conditions or issues or health problems that they're unaware of. Yeah. So we can. Well, I, I think it's that social media thing again as well, which I think plays on men just as much as it does on women now when you've got these bodybuilders and ripped physiques and six packs and you know now men have got this ideal to live up to or so it would seem on social media which then does put the pressure on and I, I've seen it even with um, nephews and, and things mm -hmm. like that where they're they're on these big massive protein shakes and downing the protein drink, drinks thinking that that's going to turn them into mm -hmm. you know Mr. Universe absolutely <laughs> which has yet to happen <laughs> um, so when we are talking about men's health then what specific areas are we referring to yeah so typically when i'm seeing a, a male regarding his health we're looking at a whole element of things so specifically we're looking at low testosterone yep. also known as andropause in right. um, our world and we're also looking at what we call somatopause as well which is a deficiency in um, or low growth hormone Again, very, very important for building lean mm. muscle mass. And usually one of the first things that young men want to look into is how much growth hormone they're mm. producing, but not taking into consideration other factors. Um, we're also looking at hypogonadism, um, benign prostatic hyperplasia or BPH, um, or enlarged prostate in layman's terms, um, erectile dysfunction, other sexual health issues as well. And then of course that incorporates fertility and sperm health. Yes. Um, and then th that's really specific to the men's health category and then of course you've got what we just discussed about hypertrophy or building lean muscle yeah. and fat loss so that's typically everything that I, I yeah. focus on yeah so yeah. important and I yeah I mean as I've said I, I get asked all the time you know but one of the first things that uh, you know a lot of especially young men will say to me is what can I do to build muscle um, so yeah we'll, we'll have a chat about that yeah and what's bit, interesting bit there too is that some of these young men yep. have done the damage. Yep. So yep. a lot of these men I'm seeing have either, you know, in the back lane or in the black market, mm. got some mm. anabolic steroids. And this is due to them doing anything in their power just to get the physique that they are longing for. And so therefore, if they've experimented with this type of behavior, it doesn't matter if it was last year or if it was five, 10 years ago, the metabolic damage has already occurred. Mm. So I see these men, we look into their hormones and then it's a matter of rebuilding and recovering and making sure that we can rebalance these hormones. I mean, let's talk about that now because now, you, mm. now you've mentioned that. I do think that that can be a real issue and obviously my background's more, more skin. Um, yeah. And again, we see a lot of guys coming into skin centers, maybe they're having laser hair removal, mm. maybe they're getting a lot of breakouts and acne. Um, yep. They're gym bunnies, a lot of um, weight training. They're on the protein shakes. They're on the the steroids as well. And quite often you can actually tell just by by the conditions that you're looking at with the skin and the um, the body. Um, but you know, it is actually quite a common thing, isn't it? It is, uh, frighteningly more so mm. um, than not. And. I find without generalizing that it's a lot of men in the fitness industry, yes. um, whether they be trainers themselves or whether they just be aspiring trainers or just everyday gym goers who just work so hard yeah. and then want to see the results that they're working so hard to get, but they may not be. So therefore they turn to alternative And methods. then what kind of side effects would taking those kind of drugs oh. have? 
a lot so not just from a hormonal imbalance yeah. obviously from a physiological perspective but then that in um, floods into more your psychological components so when we see these imbalance of the hormones you get a lot of mood swings um, aggressiveness mm. beha- aggressive behavior is probably one of the largest things and interestingly when I if I have a couple that come in to see me um, the male's view of their current health or, or psyche is a lot different to the partner. So in those circumstances, I rely on the partner right. more so than what the individual I'm treating is and telling me. have you seen any association with something like um, anabolic steroid use and any links with fertility with that? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Especially because... Or of, infertility. Infertility, yeah. definitely. Because you also get... Um, physiological changes in testicular mm. um, sizing and then shrinkage exactly shrinkage <laughs> we, all, we all know about it rarely <laughs> talked about but yeah. yeah and then of course that's going to affect not just the volume of sperm produced but also the the um, motility yeah. and also the formation yeah. Which is bizarre when you think that they're building the muscle quite often to get this almost abnormal muscular Mm. appearance to look manly. Yes. But then it's actually having the opposite effect on the the hormones in a way. And that's because, usually because of that process of aromatization, which I'll definitely go into more detail later. But um, it's essentially that testosterone that's then being converted into estrogen, which is a completely normal biological um, response because there needs to have homeostasis in the body. And therefore... So making more balance to balance out that... The ratio, yeah. yeah, trying to get that ratio in balance. So what happens in these circumstances, which is also quite frightening, is that there'll be certain doctors or GPs out there who may prescribe um, a estrogen suppressant. So essentially you're taking these anabolic steroids, but you're also stopping the estrogen from rising. You can imagine what that would do. As soon as you stop any form of treatment, what that would then do to your natural levels of hormones after that. Wow. Gosh. Well, let's talk about hormones then. If, if a guy comes to you, yeah. what hormones should they have checked? You know, what kind of tests are there out there? I know you're a big fan of the, big fan of the, the Dutch test. Yeah. Um, so can you explain some of the, the hormone checks that a man should be getting and, and what is available? Absolutely. So firstly, when they come to me, I'm certainly looking at their age, very important, um, their symptoms and also what their health goals are. That will then allow me to determine what testing we should be investigating. If it's hormone specific, I will definitely be looking at um, both blood hormones and then also urine urinary hormones and the reason being is because there are pros and cons of both and so therefore to get the full picture um, which a lot of again you know some GPs don't do um, in order to get the full picture of being able to treat them very personalized um, and specifically you want both so typically when I'm looking at blood and serum hormones um, we're looking at testosterone first and foremost now important to note here is that you have your total testosterone and also your free testosterone and this is really important you mean like unbound yes unbound and not to a protein exactly right so it's circulating the body although it only makes up for two percent of testosterone in the body it's a much more important marker because it is a sole ranger going around and being directly um, inserted to where it's required so therefore free testosterone is very important on top of total testosterone we're also looking at things like pregnenolone um, also estradiol so you've got the three estrogens but for men it is predominantly estradiol so that's the only thing we need to to focus on in terms of the estrogens in the body Um, and i I think that's just a good point to make because i think a lot of men don't realize that they actually do have estrogen in the body (laughs) exactly right and like some women wouldn't realize that they have testosterone either it's like you know obviously nowhere near as much as a man but yeah we do have both and absolutely and then i'm also looking at uh, dhea um, s which is the sulfate version and that's can be really reliable in blood in serum and um, this is important because it's a precursor to testosterone 
and um, it's also predominantly made in the adrenal glands. So you're looking not just at your testicular function now, but you're looking at adrenal function. Which seems to be linked to so much, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The adrenals, if the adrenals are, are overworked or you know, Absolutely. underactive even, um, yep. that's gonna have a knock on effect to the hormones. Definitely. And then I will look at, um, I'll just throw in some blood cortisol as well, yep. um, because usually they're happy to do that. However, not a great marker in the fact that it's not being uh, tested throughout the day. Yep. So you can't see the response, the cortisol response, which is what you're able to do with um, the urinary hormones. And as you mentioned, yes, I do like to use the Dutch, which stands for dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. Um, and that's done by a company of Precision Analytical. I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. Mm. Um, they're an American-based company, but it is what I have found to date the most comprehensive test on the market yeah. when looking at not just your sex hormones, but also your adrenal profile yes. as well. So it's a nice little package to really understand what's going on. And just to summarize on that, the, the reason why I like this test is because it's not just looking at your level of hormone, which is what bloods do, obviously. It's also looking at what we call your metabolites yes. and how your body is actually metabolizing these hormones. So that makes for a very, very good personalized treatment And protocol. this is where really, I guess, the functional approach comes in, doesn't it? Because I guess yes. with traditional Western medicine, there's only so much they can do in a, a short period of time in a consult and, and, and they're sort of just testing for the basics to, to get a good idea, yeah. I guess, of, of what may have gone wrong. With, with functional medicine and functional nutrition, it's more about looking at what's going on on a deeper biochemical level to see in a way what we can do in more of a preventative manner. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's also important to know when you start looking at the pros and cons, you know, uh, that blood levels of both free and total testosterone vary substantially among individuals. Mm. So therefore, if you go to a certain pathology service, your ranges are going to be certain range. Yes. And then if you go to somewhere else, it's going to be another range. So it's really looking at the individual, but also testing over a period of time yes. to understand what their baseline or their general and I levels think are. That's so important. And which, you know, another reason why I really encourage people to have, you know, yearly checkups and yearly tests so that you've got that baseline of, of mm. what to work from so that you know if that changes significantly, yep. you then know that there's maybe a bit of an abnormality, even if it does still fall within the normal range. And I think yep. that's why it's so important. Exactly. And obviously, if someone comes to me already having had testing done, blood, just blood mm. work, obviously, if we can see that they've got low testosterone or high estrogen, well, I, for one, want to know why that's happening. And sadly, blood doesn't tell you that. No. You can look at certain other markers to get a bit of an understanding. But as you say, functional testing, like the Dutch test, is so great at understanding why the levels are um, the level that they're at in the first place due to that whole metabolic response yep. in the body. So if we were to go deeper into the Dutch and typically what I look at when I'm, I'm doing that test, there are three major components of that Dutch test that I want to know. Firstly, it's the status of your DHEA. And that's obviously looking at if it's low, normal or high. And the reason for that is because, as I mentioned, it's a precursor hormone to developing testosterone. And would that naturally drop as you get Absolutely. older? Absolutely. Significantly yeah. too, as we get older. And this can also be responsible for a lot of fatigue, tiredness, uh, low libido. Um, and it's affected by stress considerably because it is made by the adrenals predominantly. You are going to um, have that... Uh, issues around cortisol production mm. as well. So I really want to know what that DHEA is doing um, as that precursor. Um, androst um, androsterone, which is also very important, and um, etiocolonolone, which is the three major metabolites of um, that, that whole adrenal profile. So then you're able to see how these three metabolites add up and then what essentially and how that's driving your testosterone production. So it's really quite interesting when you have all that information on a page, whereas with blood work, they wouldn't look at that. Mm, no, that's right. The second thing is um, obviously the status of testosterone. Yep. And again, if it's high, low or normal. 
Because and I guess with men, most men, you know, I know I'm being very generalistic, but there seems to be this cultural thing where men think that they should have high testosterone yes. and, you know, they should just go around eating steak and, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that whole thing of, of being a man means you've got to have more test testosterone. So yes. um, I guess to find out that you've got low testosterone, that's also going to have a bit of a, an effect mentally as well. Well, absolutely, because a lot of those psychological factors, like I mentioned, low mood, mm. um, depression even, can really be linked to low testosterone. So is it the chicken or the egg? Is it, um, you know, the whole psychological and the brain to your um, gonad, that communication pathway is clearly not working in the best ways possible. So, um, you know, when we talk about the HPA axis with your adrenal, so the hypothalamus, mm. pituitary and adrenal axis, you've also got the gonad. Um, so the hypothalamus, pituitary gland and gonad axis as well. And somebody probably have got, some people have probably got an overstimulation of that too. Exactly. <laughs> so you cannot rule out the, that pathway. Yep. So you're looking, when I'm treating someone, I'm looking at every step of that yep. pathway and seeing what, what area is being affected. So like you said, yes, a lot of people um, are confronted by the low testosterone, but that's driving a lot of those psychological factors as well, mm. which is really sad. So if somebody, you know, there, there is a hormone imbalance, let's just say somebody had low DHEA. Yes. Is there anything we can do about that? Yeah, if it's really low, um, it's not just going to affect, obviously, your sex hormones, it's going to affect your adrenals as well. Yeah. And this can really significantly lead to things like burnout. Yes. So as you can imagine, a lot of the men I see who are heavily training at high intensities and some really high profile athletes, mm. they're training once or even twice and a day. And CrossFit and all exactly that. Exactly right. That, that's hardcore. That yes. is hardcore. Yep. And so if they're not recovering well, if they're just really slamming themselves in the mm. gym or getting to a point with their work that they're really involved in as well, there's no downtime. So there's no recovery or proper recovery. And so therefore the adrenals suffer. Well, I also think though that A-type personality that has yes. a very busy, um, fast paced life, very high stress job, mm -hmm. for some reason when you've got that type of stress in your life and that personality, quite often the um, way to let off steam is to go for that hardcore type exercise which is actually exacerbating the problem rather than fixing it but those people can be so stressed out that then to go for the the relaxation or the meditation or the yoga is just going to tip yep. them over the edge because they're just not ready for it yet exactly it's, it's right. too too much of a come down yes so you have all this circulating um, you know, adrenaline, yes. essentially, which is just causing more inflammation yes. and it's not being addressed. Well, it's so even like, I mean, I, I got into Netflix recently and I, I um, was feeling a bit stressed and then what do I put on? Like thrillers and, yes. you know, really highly stressful things that I'm watching that are making me stress. Watch it and I, watching it and I actually thought, oh, actually, this is actually, this should be relaxing and it's actually yeah. not. It's making me feel even more anxious and getting more stressed. So yes. for me, I recognised it, but I think for a lot of people, you know, they thrive off that. So yes. it's, it's a really good thing to mention. Exactly. And it's that, when it gets to that point, it's more about acknowledgement. Yeah. So really having the skills of being self-aware yes. and acknowledging how your body is feeling because the mind might be saying something else mm. but physiologically your body is like whoa whoa you need to slow down because if not we're going to get to burnout so answering your question about the dhea yep. um, i would typically if i feel that there really does need um, to be supplementation sadly i cannot as a allied health professional um, it falls under medical so i would certainly then put that referral to either a um, integrative medical practitioner mm. who can, can compound it mm. and get a really nice compounding uh, formula um, through these compounding pharmacies, which might incorporate not just DHEA, but also some other nutrients and also potentially some testosterone yep. in there as well if, if required, um, or bioidentical hormone replacement. Yep. Um, so that's when I will refer when I feel that it goes, um, it's out of my hands mm. to um, really address that um, hormonal side of things, whether it requires testosterone boost through, um, as I mentioned, replacement therapy, alternatively, yeah, DHEA. 
but from a nutrient perspective and uh, from um, estrogen clearance perspective, there are so many things we can do from a nutritional standpoint. Mm. Mm. And Fiona, just on that third point with the Dutch, what's really great about this test is that when you have your testosterone levels, yeah, sure, you have your levels, you have your markers, um, your precursors, but then you also want to know what pathway your testosterone is going down. So there are two major pathways, and these are what we call your metabolic preferences. So you have your 5-alpha um, or your 5-beta pathway. And that's where that whole term alpha male comes from. Is love that, that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the five alpha reductase converts testosterone into five alpha DHT, and um, this is way more important, uh, potent yeah. than testosterone, at least three yeah. times more. And, and I mean, you know, from skincare background, this is something that um, skin therapists and dermal clinicians would actually know quite a bit about, um, because that's something we look at with acne and and those. It, those types of conditions and even with topical skincare yes. um, quite often we're looking at um, DHT inhibitors yes. to actually help with with topical skincare um, and again with nutrition um, I would also be looking at foods to actually help inhibit um, the DHT conversion or the 5-alpha. I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. as you just said high levels of DHT can lead to symptoms that are associated with too high or elevated mm. testosterone levels. And, and even hair loss, yeah. Thinning scalp, exactly right. Hair, um, acne, yeah. as you say, these are the major ones. So again, you see that in the gym industry, mm. don't you? Mm. And then you start looking from a skin perspective, well, are they sweating appropriately? Are they cleansing appropriately or looking after their skin? And if that's all tick, yes, 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 then we know there's probably a hormonal issue mm. that's really causing it to, in the first place. But let us not forget that it can also be high levels of testosterone over a period of time can also be associated with um, prostate issues as men get older. And that's something that you really don't want to um, have because in, if you speak to anyone with an enlarged prostate or um, cancer, then it has all types of effect on... Sorry, I was going to say, you, you're saying that, would that be more to do with high testosterone or more the, um, the conversion of the testosterone to the more potent? Potent, yeah. exactly. It's a conversion. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So, sorry. Yeah. Thank you for picking that up. So, it's not just generally high testosterone. You so, want to know so the So, they're pathway. making that, that potent DHT, yeah. which is that, that stronger testosterone. Um, yeah. I guess a bit like estrogen, when you have the more potent estrogen in women, that can be linked to more... Yes cancers and things like that exactly so then when you've got like this dial right when yeah. you're looking at your um, five alpha or five beta you're looking at which pathway you're more likely to go down and it's that um, uh, the metabolite <laughs> metabolite <laughs> thank you created um, down the five beta pathway are significantly less androgenic and so these are the people who are going to express more issues around low testosterone or normal testosterone, but too high estrogen. And that would be the next thing I would certainly be looking at in those mm, situations. So it's almost like we need to get that balance. Exactly right. And I guess, do we know why some people go down the, the different pathways more predominantly? Is that more of a genetic thing? Great question. So I'll happily provide you a list of things that are, are typically reasons why um, testosterone might be low in the first place or why you're not converting it well enough. Um, and as you say, DNA plays a huge role. You might have some genetic mutations yeah. on some of your SNPs, which in terms of um, it, it, the conversion and that aromatization mm. process as we discussed earlier um, that can be an issue definitely so I always like to do some DNA or genetic profiling as right. well um, if the patient can afford it and um, then of course let's look at all the other factors increasing body fat and predominantly abdominal fat for men okay that middle-aged spread as we call it is really going to increase that aromatized activity right You've got oxidative damage to tissues um, responsible for the production of testosterone. So that's also something to look into. A reduction of testicular um, uh, testosterone synthesis. You've got declining levels of DHEA, as we mentioned, um, and other precursor, uh, precursor molecules. 
nutritional status. So this is looking at um, either deficiencies um, or just an intake of low levels of specific nutrients that yep. are important for testosterone yep. production. And then you've also got liver function. Yes. Everyone forgets to I look know. at the liver. I know. Well, I'm all about gut and liver. Yeah. Um, you know, even in skincare, very big link to liver health and yeah. what we see in the skin. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm all about supporting that detoxification pathway. Yeah. And one of the things you would be interested in as well, which um, is looked heavily into skin, but also from a hormonal and balance situation, is um, exposure to endocrine disruptors mm. and those environmental toxins such as BPA mm. in plastics. And you've got your phthalates and you've also got your um, just chemicals such as uh, I have men, for example, who work on construction sites. Mm. They don't even think that that's an issue. That industry is associated with, you know, that Absolutely. high testosterone. And fumes and paints. Exactly. And exactly I, right. God only knows what things like spray tans do and, um, you know, the, the nail, all the nail stuff that, that yeah. women do. I mean, maybe some men do, I don't know. Yep. Um, but even, you know, the chemicals that we surround ourselves with mm. um, and, you know, building sites and painting and exactly. um, varnishes and all sorts of things that can be used even yeah. in the home. All of those chemicals are yep. so toxic. That's right. And then that in turn will affect the gut as well and the liver. Yep. So not only are you dealing with the liver, which metabolizes everything we put into our body, including your hormones, mm. um, it is also then affecting your gut. Now, the gut is responsible for phase three of that detoxification pathway. So <clears throat> if the gut's out of whack, yep. then you're likely to have some issues there. And the well. more toxins you've got, the more overwhelmed the gut's going to be anyway, if, yes. if the liver's not, you know. That toxic loading. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I think, the, I think people, I think the trend at the moment is so much to focus on the gut. Mm -hmm. um, I think the liver is being a little bit neglected, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think we've got to come back and, and look at the two of them together, the, all of the detoxification organs of the body. Definitely. So um, yeah, I'm I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you there. So from it, um, you mentioned about estrogen, and I know earlier we said estrogen is obviously mm. men do do have estrogen. Um, what would be say the the consequence of a man having more estrogen? In yeah. So again, it's always about that ratio and that balancing, um, which is important. And although estrogen is thought as um, and associated with women's health, as yes. you say. This sex hormone regulates so many important yeah. aspects of men's health as well. And this starts from the womb. Mm. So when you're a fetus in your mother's womb and extends right across the lifespan of the male. Um, and estrogen influences things like sperm production. Mm. It also looks at um, male brain development and also libido, just to name a few. So in males, as you know, the main biologically active estrogen is estradiol, as I mentioned earlier. And this is typically what we're looking at in that testing, whether it be through blood, whether it be through urine, and you can even test it through saliva. Um, but the, the, this estradiol is then converted into, um, sorry, the conversion of testosterone into estrogen yes. is in that process of aromatization, as I discussed earlier. So this goes back to your question about balancing and what happens and why it happens. So as I mentioned, yes, there could be a DNA um, mutation that's putting you at risk of that conversion at a much higher rate. And then it's also all those other lifestyle factors that I just listed before. But then what these tests can tell us, it's that detoxification pathway and if it's occurring at all, and if not, at what stage of the pathway do we need to focus our treatment on, whether it be phase one, two, or three? Mm. And that's what the best thing is about that, this Dutch test. Wow, that's great. Um, so when we are looking at that um, in men who have unfavorable levels of estrogen, the goal of the treatment is to reduce those levels, to rebalance, and it's not just as easy as, oh, we'll just elevate your testosterone because that'll balance it out, right? That's what a lot of men think when they come to see me. It's like, well, can't I just get some hormone replacement or can't I just do this? I said, well, you could, but it's not as simple as mm. that. Because like I mentioned, you have all of these specific um, enzyme activities that are occurring for that conversion of testosterone to estrogen. So we really want to look at those detoxification pathways. Mm. I tend to start in the gut 
which you'd love. Um, and the reason for that is because when you are looking at, say, for example, a stool test, I also like to do some stool testing. And one test in particular that we, we both have looked into recently is that metabiome test. And mm. that's looking at specific um, levels of a marker code. I've got them in the corner. I've got two Brilliant. right by the side of me here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so that's looking at an enzyme. A Not used ones. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Yeah. Yet to be used. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's looking specifically at enzyme production yeah. uh, of a specific enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. Now, if you have higher levels of this enzyme, then your body is more, more likely to convert that testosterone to estrogen. So, hence why it's great to start there, to look at the gut. So, a couple of questions here as well, because you know it's not an area I really specialize in. If mm. someone has got high estrogen, mm. they could also be producing more, sorry, high testosterone. They could yep. also be producing more estrogen as a result, but they could yep. also have low testosterone and high estrogen. It could be it's either. Exactly yep. right, yes. And again, that's why this test is telling yeah. us, it's telling us not just what your levels are, but why they are that point that they're at. So that allows us to be able to be very specific and go, well, okay, your testosterone is actually really great because it's quite high. We don't have to do any replacement therapy, yes. but we do need to clear out that estrogen, yeah. which is a condition, as you're probably aware of, called estrogen dominance. Yes, and which, which occurs in women as well. Yes. And just to clarify this, the, the Dutch hormone test is also available for, for women too. Definitely. Um, it's not just a, a male test. No. But, um, you know, estrogen dominance is, is something that, that's very prevalent yeah. for a lot of women. And that, of course, increases your risk of um, breast cancer. Yes. And interestingly, the same with men, man boobs, okay? Mm. Mm. Gynecomastia, we mm. have... Which is a real issue for a lot of men, you yes. know. Um, and I don't know if I'm just becoming more aware of it or whether it's something that I'm noticing more or whether it is actually something that is increasing. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't surprise me because of the diet that people have, yep. um, because of the fast food and eating out of plastic foods and heating up foods yes. in the microwave and, and those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, my father, something I mentioned to Robbie earlier, but my, my father actually um, was one of the rarer cases of having breast cancer. And that was due to higher estrogen levels. Mm. This was in the UK. And in the UK, the drinking water is all recycled. And one of the specialists in the, the UK actually put down the, the breast cancer link to um, drinking the water from the UK, the tap water, which is recycled water, which would contain you know, traces of the contraceptive pill and things, which, I mean, so now he'll only drink bottled water, but even then it's all in, in plastic. Plastics, exactly. Um, Obviously, I think that there would have been a link there with the way that he processed those hormones and liver detoxification and mm -hmm. the different um, pathways so that um, he was more prone to, to yep. that. Um, it's not just about the water. Um, there's a lot of men in the UK that don't have breast cancer exactly. that drink the water. So it was his ability to be able to process that. Uh, you know, a lot of different factors, as we were saying earlier. Yeah. But I think that's another point to mention that even things like breast cancer are not just limited to, to mm -hmm. women. It can also occur in men. Yep. And we have to remember that everyone is individualized yes. and unique. So one person who then might metabolize it a lot more efficiently is going to have a much better way of clearing it out yes. compared to someone who have these DNA or genetic predispositions um, and risks of this occurring. So therefore, we can't just go, no. oh, well, so-and-so, old mate Mark over there doesn't yeah. have a problem with it. I shouldn't either, but yeah. you're completely different. Yeah. Or that happened to that person, so it's going to happen to me. Same thing. Exactly. You, may, you may process it very differently and it, yeah. it won't be an issue for them or for you, but it may be for that person. So yeah. this is where I think the, the functional testing is, is so beneficial. Yes. Um, but also the diet, you know, there is quite a bit we can do with diet, such as um, looking at increasing fiber and, and yeah. prebiotics and getting on the liver-loving, um, you know, veggies and the cruciferous yeah, the brassica veggies. Yeah. and the family, absolutely. And yes, again, with the phase one and phase two detoxification, that predominantly takes place in the liver and the kidneys, whereas that phase three, as I mentioned, happens in the small intestines usually. So therefore, it's easy to start at 
phase three and work backwards, which is um, quite a traditional way of doing things in the functional medicine mm. world. Um, plus, if there is um, heightened levels of um, beta-glucuronidase, uh, you can really fix that through either supplementation mm. or, as you mentioned, through dietary approach, which is obviously what we'd love to do first and foremost. And I really love, you know, the greens powders and you know your Vitasol has really assisted a lot of my friends and and colleagues it's even. Great to hear. Thank yeah. You. Well, that again, that focus is on the phase one, phase two, and we're also supporting gut health with that it's as well. Exactly um, right. In a natural way. So, so. two birds with one yeah, stone, yeah. which is exactly what you're wanting to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And then of course you've got. Um, uh methane or dim you may have heard yes. that's quite a common one that people go to first and foremost as a supplement yes exactly and that's you know the same as indole 3 carbonyl yep. but do they actually have to start there we should be looking yes. at the whole picture and i'm so glad you said that actually because mm. i guess that's my bugbear with yep. whether it be skincare nutritionists naturopaths dietitians mm. Quite often, or even just a general consumer, um, quite often we think mm, we may have an issue, let's just pop a pill. Or maybe we don't have an issue, yep. let's just pop a pill anyway to prevent an issue, which you might actually cause an issue down yes. the track. Yep. Um, let's start at the basics, let's see if we can treat with diet, let's mm. see what we can do as naturally as possible. Yep. And then maybe down the track, or maybe that is something you need a professional supplement mm. for, yep. but don't just willy-nilly just pick up a supplement and go I think I need that that might be good for me exactly right especially without any education yes. or guidance that's the problem a lot of people do their own reading and research yet they'll just go to any chemist or store and pick up a supplement um, even online obviously nowadays but even even saying that Robbie I would also you know sort of probably get shot down for saying this but I think even a lot of professionals yes um, a client may come to them and let's let's say um, they find out they've got um, suboptimum zinc levels for mm. instance mm. the first thing they may do is actually just go okay you need to supplement with zinc or oh you're really stressed so let's give you some B vitamins and some magnesium and some vitamin C and just yep. send them out with a pile of pills without looking at let's yes. look at ways to manage your stress let's look at what we can include in your diet Yep. from food to actually get that that nutrition up Absolutely. rather than go straight to to the pills i guess that's my yep. that's my bug where let, let's try and do it naturally first mm. and then go to the supplements if there is an issue where you may need um dim supplementation for instance or yeah. something like that rather than go straight to the supplement when we haven't even looked at the diet and the lifestyle factors that's exactly right and obviously being a functional dietitian i predominantly and uh, importantly focus on the diet assessment and looking at what one's current diet is like and if you're witnessing and seeing all these either deficiencies because they have a very limited diet and, a, and not a very varied diet yes. then that's the perfect place to start exactly. get them consuming these foods that are high in these nutrients and as you say like the cruciferous and the brassica family green leafy veg when in doubt lots and lots of green yep. leafy veg and you can do that easily yes and absolutely. i mean i know if i had a preference of just changing my diet compared to or versus consuming a pill for the rest of my life i know what i'd want to do and <laughs> well i mean talking about diet let's talk about say um you know, one of the common things I hear from a lot of men is what can I do to put on more muscle? Yeah. And there just seems to be all of these supplements, you know, branch chain amino acids, yes. um, protein powders, fat burning fuels, mm -hmm. all of these things that are so available, they're packaged in really masculine packaging. Um, you know, so men think it's a masculine yeah. thing to do. And you see the young guys in particular at the gyms working out with their protein shakes. Mm -hmm. um, What's your advice here? What what can someone do to help them put on more muscle from a dietary perspective? Definitely. So the first and foremost thing that when one is undergoing a hypertrophy program yep. or building lean muscle, um, typically you get people coming in and they say, oh, I want to put on lean muscle and yep. lose fat mass. Yep. And sadly, there's no magic solution to be able to do both well at the same time. So you can certainly do both at the same time, but you're not going to get the same results as, as you would if you were to focus on one and at a time. And this is where your sports nutrition really comes in. Exactly right. Well. Yeah. So 
first and foremost, I'm looking at diet, looking yeah. at doing a dietary assessment, looking at their macronutrient intake, their micronutrients, of course. But most importantly, it's whether or not they're in an energy surplus, mm. meaning that they're consuming more calories through food compared to the amount of calories they're expending through exercise. If you're constantly churning through this energy and calories, then you're going to burn fat. People who want to put on muscle need to be in that surplus. So you'd be surprised. I get people coming in and they're not in an energy surplus. Mm. And that's like, well, let's start there because that's the easiest place to start. I think that's a good point to make, actually, because even, I mean, my poor husband gets, if you listen to all the podcasts, he gets the mention in nearly everyone. <laughs> <laughs> because he's probably one of those that wants to put on muscle yeah. but just isn't eating enough. Yeah. Um, and then it's actually burning through yes. all the, the the calories probably that he's eating to the point where I actually think he's got um, muscle atrophy mm. because because he's not having enough energy and trying to educate him on that. Yeah. Um, you know, they always think they know better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, that, that also obviously if you're not eating correctly to support that muscle growth yeah. then that's also going to affect testosterone levels so it yeah. all loops back at the end yeah. of the day and what what would you say about these these protein powders yeah they certainly have their place mm. in certain realms of the fitness world i work with a lot of athletes yep. who are obviously training quite heavily at high intensities but also for long durations um, and maybe multiple times in the day so they certainly play a role here of optimizing performance outcomes and these people might benefit from supplementation because a they need some quick recovery yep. techniques but also they need extra um, calories and that's a really easy way of being able to do it um, whereas just your general gym goer may not necessarily mm. benefit from supplementation particularly around protein powders and it's really interesting a lot of people don't realize how easy it is to meet their protein requirements mm. in the every day through food mm. and you know for, for just the general gym goer you're looking at about 1 to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of lean muscle yep. mass so all you do is time your body weight by 1 to 1.2 and that's how much protein you require just to optimize your levels and to minimize the risk of muscle wastage so it's actually quite small mm -hmm. and then when you've got all this excess protein intake well of course your kidneys and your liver have to work overtime it's going to impact on your gut health and also it could lead to just unnecessary um, calories mm. that at the end of the day we want to try and rebalance as well so when we're talking about diet um, I'm certainly looking at their uh, macronutrient intake so their carbohydrates fats and their proteins obviously there's a big movement is particularly in the CrossFit or the gym world of trying to be a bit restrictive around paleo diets or ketogenic diets and that can actually do more harm than good when trying yeah. to put on lean muscle. And I'm seeing that a lot with men. Um, I think it was, you know, it was paleo. Yeah. And I'm seeing more now ketogenic. Yes. Um, you know, and I've had a few run-ins with mm -hmm. people that are extreme ketogenic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it that does that does worry me. Um, it, it does seem to be very big in the in the bodybuilding and CrossFit yeah. and, and workout community, doesn't it? It does, it does indeed. And, and I want to state that these diets certainly have their role mm. in certain situations. Yes. Mine come, my reasoning for going on these diets are probably more clinical mm. than for aesthetic purposes. Mm. So for example, if you're going to be ketogenic, then it really has an um, important role in um, inflammatory markers in the body. So people who are at risk of type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance or metabolic ish, um, syndrome and issues, then these people will benefit from, from such a diet. However, when we're looking at muscle building, which is what the question is uh, focused around, if it's not done correctly, you're at risk of putting your body in a catabolic state, mm. meaning that it will break down mm. lean muscle rather than build it. And that is very dangerous. We don't want that, particularly as we age. Mm. Um, we see it, muscle wastage is catabolic state that um, the body is going through that breaks down or eats away at lean muscle mm. so we don't want to stress the body we need to make sure that recovery is there hence why nutrition plays the most important role in all it's of that huge I mean even you know with females as well yeah. um, 
that over exercise and aren't eating enough because they're trying to do that to, to lose weight um, and even with eating disorders and things like that you can yep. then the same thing happens and then you start to get the, the muscle wasted definitely so diet number one definitely but let us not forget there are other factors at play as well for, for putting on lean muscle and building muscle mass is that you've also got things like your lifestyle you know, what is your lifestyle like? Are you stressed all the time? Do you work um, or live in a stressful environment? Are you associated with stressful relationships? Because this is going to play a pivotal mm. role in the inflammation process in the body. So therefore recovery, but also the ability to build lean muscle. Sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? And is that quality there as well? Two very important factors. I think that's a great point about inflammation. Um, I'd never actually really thought about it in the effect of trying to build muscles. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess if you are chronically stressed or inflamed, then um, the body is very, very clever at doing what it needs to do in an emergency situation. Yeah. Um, so it, it would then have that effect. And I mm. think that's a really important important point to make definitely and let's face it you know inflammation is the number one driver of disease mm. we all know that so it makes the same sense not just to do it for our health but also to do the positive things as well like building lean muscle and then finally and, and a very important aspect also is gut health so where do you where do we absorb all of our nutrients small intestines predominantly so therefore if our gut health is out we may not be absorbing protein well and this is another thing you can look at in terms of your blood work is are you at risk of deficiencies things like b12 iron vitamin d and your protein status if that's the case it could be the fact that your gut is out and not absorbing those nutrients which can also create more inflammation right correct so absolutely and then before too. that before digestion you know absorption you're looking at digestion mm. so are you actually digesting your food appropriately as well before it's broken down and then absorbed into the and even intestine? simple things we we overlook the simple things or the basic things or even yeah. what i call the common sense things we're all so busy and rushing sometimes people are literally gulping food down on the go yes yes just stopping sitting down and chewing the food now yeah. you know chewing it properly so that is going to start to aid the digestive process yeah. can yeah. make a huge difference absolutely and one thing Fiona I forgot to mention which is so important about all of this and testosterone particularly and the risk of that aromatization occurring at a higher rate is alcohol consumption mm. oh that's a huge one huge how did we forget that oh. <laughs> So even the men who come to see me and they're like, I don't drink during the week, but they'll openly admit to binge drinking on weekends. I'm sorry, that's still not okay. Yeah, um, it's I've still going to have yeah, an effect. I've actually seen that in results um, too in, in men. Um, is that because, Robbie, that the alcohol is having an effect on the liver? Yeah. Or is it the actual alcohol having an effect on the on the hormones? A bit of both, but predominantly the liver and affecting that detoxification yeah. pathway. Plus, we all know it increases risk of um, your liver enzymes becoming a bit out of balance and therefore your liver function is not yeah. going to be optimal in those situations either. Um, and it doesn't matter in terms of what type of alcohol because it's the ethanol mm. that is in all alcohol that has the, is the issue. And that would be the same then presumably for women and women with mm. things like estrogen, estrogen dominance. dominance definitely. Um, alcohol would be having a, a similar effect, which yeah. is, is a really, really important thing to, yeah. to mention. Also saying that um, I'm sitting here now feeling like I've got a halo over my head <laughs> because I'm not a big drinker. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's something that doesn't really agree with me. So it's, yeah. it's not something that I, I enjoy. So therefore, I, I don't really sure. drink. But I know it's an issue for a lot of people, particularly in the Australian um, culture, mm -hmm. that it's normal to go home and have half a bottle of wine. Some people yes. might even drink a bottle of wine. Yep. Um, it's their downtime. And you were saying earlier that stress plays such a huge yep. role for some people. Having that glass of wine when you get home mm -hmm. is their downtime yep absolutely and you only have to do your own social experiment mm. to know the impact of alcohol so people who do dry july or any other month that they might go without consuming alcohol dry they August. lose fat <laughs> dry mass. september yeah exactly yeah. they lose a lot of fat mass yes. 
And the reason for that predominantly, it, and it happens around probably the abdominal yep. area, and people are shocked by that um, where they shouldn't be because that all then starts linking in with that hormone imbalance as well. So by stopping or ceasing that alcohol consumption for that longer period of time, the body is then allowed to be able to detoxify it from the mm. system and then allow those hormones just to rebalance um, slightly better than what they were under duress with that consumption of alcohol previously. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I really don't think there's that many benefits from, from drinking alcohol. Saying that, I'm not being a party pooper, I'm not saying mm -hmm. don't ever drink. It's again, balance and moderation. Exactly right, and it's personal choice. Yes. So I would never judge someone, who I myself consume alcohol, yeah. um, but I would never judge someone if it were in high quantities. We'd just work with them to yes. see how we could reduce yeah. it yeah. if that's yeah. a major factor. Yeah. And it's not about complete deprivation and I, no. I'm a big believer as well if you love a glass of wine mm. or you love a piece of chocolate or whatever it is sometimes I think taking it away yep. um, can create more stress it's no point being miserable. It's about just finding that that balance and, and moderation. So I'm definitely not saying, you know, you're a bad person if you drink. Um, and again, I might be in a social setting where I, I do have a drink, but it's just about being aware of falling into bad habits because sometimes we can fall into those habits. So mm -hmm. maybe you used to just have wine, for instance, at the weekend, yes. and then suddenly it's crept into, um, another night in the week and then suddenly it's every week uh, yeah. every night yeah. um, and these things can just creep up and you don't realize what an effect it can be can yeah. be having so it's just about bringing an awareness to Definitely. thinking about how much am I relying on this and are exactly there other right. things I can do and then from that we try to justify it as well it's like well I've been good during the week I haven't yeah. had anything so I can have a few more on the weekend it's that justification process, which is also problematic in these situations. Yeah, and mm. it's the same with diet too, isn't it? Yeah. It's oh, like, oh, well, I've been so. good all week, so I can eat the whole cake. No, no, it doesn't work like that. No. <laughs> uh, again, as you know, balance, balance and moderation, I think, is, exactly. is key there. Um, so I think we've, you know, we've really covered a lot today on, on hormones and a lot of really great information that you've given us and, and points that you've you've highlighted Robbie mm. um, thank you so much if someone um, is interested in, in booking a consult with you how can they find you and do you, you see women as well don't you absolutely yeah. uh, of course um, I see I treat a whole range of yes. conditions um, I see a lot of cardiovascular mm. health conditions I see a lot of metabolic so type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes um, I also see gastrointestinal disorders or gut issues mm. um, and then of course men's health women's health um, and sports nutrition fat loss um, the list goes on but um, I yeah don't discriminate I'm quite uh, diverse in my treatment and I hope people listening can understand that me being functional means that you've got the benefits both from a clinical um, approach mm -hmm. but also with that additional integrative holistic approach I, I as think well. it's fantastic what you do and, and the fact that you can get down to the testing on such an intricate level Thanks, yeah. and again it's that forensic approach if you exactly. like to, to find out what's going on so that you can you can treat it on a, a biochemical level yeah um, and it takes, it takes the guessing away, yeah. which is what's really yeah. frustrating for my clients. They're just like, well, I've had my levels tested, but this came back normal. Get that all the time, right? Yeah. And it's not until we do further investigations and go, whoa, well, actually, this mm. isn't normal. Mm. <laughs> um, and things change all the time, too. So yes, if people do want to um, have a consult with me for any reason, um, I do have a business that's called Health Bank. Yes. And um, there, there is a booking portal on there, which is www.healthbank.io. And um, they can read my profile. Um, we've also got other practitioners on there as well, uh, depending on your preference, gender, uh, specializations, and um, also uh, modality as well. So naturopath versus nutritionist Great. versus dietitian. Great, so people can find whoever they're looking for really. Whoever they want, definitely. We even have some physios and exercise physiologists so, on there as well. So just on Health Bank, because mm. I know that's a little baby of yours, isn't it? Yes. Something that you're... Yes, um, it is. A founder of yes um, so health bank really can you just very quickly before we finish up tell us a little bit about that because that's actually almost a, an online portal to be able to find health practitioners yeah absolutely so we have um, two approaches one from a patient perspective where um, patients can come to the site in order to find a practitioner and have a consult with a practitioner 
but I designed it specifically for um, practitioners because it is a patient management tool which also incorporates virtual consultation and the ability to upload electronic medical records. So it really does cater right. for practitioners who want to merge into the online space but also build a business as well. It's like a business in a box because mm. we take care of all the accounting components, uh, invoice generation, calendar bookings um, and Again, as I said, virtual consultation, which is completely secured um, and meets the, the, the guidelines and standards around that, rather than using multiple software like Skype mm -hmm. or Zoom um, and then having to use another practice management tool. It's like a your one-stop shop right. for being able to practice. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So if, if practitioners also want to have a look at it, um, we are giving the platform away for free for 12 months. And the reason for wow. that is because we're in uh, that beta testing phase. We're really appreciating feedback from practitioners. So they can go just to the, the website as well, healthbank.io, and um, sign up as a practitioner profile. And uh, there's no lock-in fees, cancellation fees, obligations. It's just there to trial and um, see if it's Amazing. something that they want to well, do. We love what you're doing. Um, always you. a wealth of information. Oh, and thanks. I love it when people are so passionate about what they do and, and really coming from that, that functional perspective yeah. to get the clients very best results oh, that, well. that you can get. So thank you so much for, for chatting with us today. Oh, thanks Robbie. for having me.